Today we're going to be looking at four thieves in your life and how you can nab them. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. I'm going to give you a simple quiz. Oh, it's not anything that needs to be intimidating at all. But I want to name a couple of, of companies and see if you associate them. We'll see how good their advertising campaign is. ADT. Recognize that? ADT. Simply Safe. How about this one? Safe Touch. Vivint. Front Point. All of these companies have one thing in common. Home security. Home security. Many people are involved and are interested in home security today. Now, if you live in Mansfield or Mainsfield or anywhere in this vicinity, you might not even lock your front doors. I'm not ask, ask, going to ask you to raise your hand as to whether or not you do, but uh, some of you don't lock your doors. You don't have to lock your car. Uh, we live in the Orlando area. We prefer to do that. But thieves generally will be opportunists. For instance, break-ins will occur in places that are poorly lit, back doors that don't have bolt locks or reinforcement or easy prey for thieves to get in, garage doors that are left up. How many of you have ever done that and forgot to lower the garage door? Unlocked windows, all of these things. You know, the Lord expects us to be wise in the area of personal security. He even used the subject of personal security to illustrate how we need to be watchful for his coming. And we've sung several songs this morning about being ready and aware of the coming of our Lord and what we should be doing in serving him. For instance, in Matthew 24 and verse 23, no need to turn there uh, because you're already in the book of Philippians, but it carries the idea of watchfulness. It says, know this, that if the master of the house, the owner of the house, had known in what part of the knife, uh, in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would have not let his house be broken into. So the Lord knew about personal security. And he knew about the fact that people need to be vigilant. In John chapter 10, we have this application in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Here, folks, is Satan's agenda as the greatest of thieves in our lives. He wants us to lose out on the exercise and the usage of his spiritual power in our lives. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and yet at the same time, he wants to plunder and to steal our awareness of those things. And as good stewards of our Savior, 
We need to be about the master's business. Now, in the book of Philippians, you're all there now, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. And we're going to be looking this morning at four thieves of joy. Four thieves of joy. And the devil wants to have his will and his way in your life. Young people going to camp. I want you to know that the devil wants to steal what God has for you in your spiritual growth, even during camp this week. And that is true with all of us. The first thief of joy is the thief of circumstances. The thief of circumstances. Now, if you take your Bibles, take a look at chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened unto me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He had limited freedom, it tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 28 and verse 30. He was in house arrest at his own expense. And yet he was guarded by the Praetorian Guard. And there was the changing of the guard. Can you imagine the experience of the guards being in the same area as the Apostle Paul in prison? Think of the guards normally. How do their prisoners act? They complain. They're all innocent. They're all against the government and everyone of any kind of authority in their lives. But yet here's the Apostle Paul. He's not a complainer. As a matter of fact, they see that he's writing these epistles. And every once in a while, Lucius the guard, let's give him a name, Lucius, he says, what are you writing, Paul? And Paul shares the precious truths of the gospel and many of those things that he's writing to the Philippian church. You know, the apostle Paul could have been embittered. He could have been angry. But here he says this, everything that happened unto me, all of the circumstances, you see that verb happened? It's written, the Holy Spirit wrote that verb happened in a special tense, called the perfect tense. And what it does is that it looks to the past and its continuing effect into the present. And what Paul is saying is every single thing that God allowed in my life in the past and in the present is continuing to be used for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, think of some of the things that Paul went through in the past. He had a good education at the foot of Gamaliel, but he persecuted believers. He plundered churches. And Paul is actually able to say, even the good and the bad 
in my pre-conversion days, God doesn't waste anything on his elect. God has a purpose, and he's able to use everything. And then he says, all of this that has happened in the past has been for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance carries the idea in the original language of pioneering. A pioneer would basically be a bushwhacker through the forest. And he'd take his machete and he would carve out a new trail in previously unknown area. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, everything that happened in my life, including my present imprisonment in a Roman jail, I can reach people and talk to people about Jesus and have an opportunity to share and witness out of the trenches that I never would have ever had before. As a matter of fact, later on, the Apostle Paul will say, you know, even in my wretchedness, God, the worst things that I did before I was saved, God can use that. Some of you might say, how can God use the act of murder for his glory? You know, Paul says, even in doing those horrible things, I am a pattern to future believers that God's grace is able to save not only from the uttermost, but from to the guttermost. Nobody is beyond God's precious grace, no matter what you've ever done in your life before. And Paul says, and he uses that special tense, everything in the past and even in the present, it's all been for the pioneering, for the furtherance, for the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody once said, Prosperity and ease is not the best teacher. Adversity is. If you had everything, back in New York, where I'm from, Long Island, Suffolk County, Long Island, we have a term, hunky-dory. When everything is great, how many of you have ever heard, oh, everything is hunky-dory? Larger percentage than I expected. And, uh, but, you know, we think that if everything was hunky-dory in our lives, that we would grow spiritually. The truth of the matter is, that's not the case. I think that the Lord wants to accomplish some very, very great things in the church through this COVID-19 situation. And not only in the church, but in the entire world for the pioneering of the gospel. Think about the sheltering, the social distancing, the isolation, even in the church, most people would say, oh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to cause, cause churches to close, and God's out of control. It looks like the imminency of Christ's return ought not to be preached anymore simply because of COVID-19. And we put Satan on the throne rather than God. God knows what he is doing when he sequesters his church and even his people. Think of Noah. He was in the ark for one year in social isolation. 
And yet God used that one year in the ark to begin making him the father of all of the nations of the world. God sheltered Joseph from age 13 to basically age 30. All kinds of problems and, and out of circulation, in prison. And yet God was preparing him to be a blessing for his people who would be encountering famine. Folks, God is in control of everything that he is doing in this world. Moses, God sheltered Moses in a remote desert. Forty years! Most of us would say, what a wasted life. And yet God prepared Moses. And when Moses left, God used him after those 40 years to bring the children of Israel out of bondage into the land that God would have for him. And then, of course, Joshua and others. Think of David. He was anointed king, but God sheltered him 15 years. 15 years. God, what are you doing? 15 years. God knew what he was doing. And he was a man after God's own heart because he learned to commune and to talk with his father. And he blessed us with so many of the Psalms because of that social isolation. Think of Elijah. God sheltered Elijah by the brook Cherish. And yet, he was placed in a position to be fed by ravens and then a widow. Didn't make sense. I ought to be the one helping the old widow. And yet, God brought him to Mount Carmel to overcome the prophets of Baal because he had learned in his time of sheltering to trust in God. I think of Jonah, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and yet God brought about one of the greatest revivals in Nineveh through his ministry. I think of Daniel, 70 years in Babylon, in isolation from his land, and yet God used him to write one of the greatest prophetic books that outlines God's program for the ages. The disciples were in the upper room, socially isolated for 10 days prior to the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit would come upon mightily and God would begin his church, and his indwelling ministry. You see, it's after the time of isolation that great blessing can take place if and when we learn to properly adapt and respond to it. Folks, this time can be a great opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel. Because it's one of those things that God uses to make us greater. I think of Paul in Arabia for three years, socially isolated. I think of him sheltered in prison, and yet he wrote the prison epistles. 
John, sheltered in the Isle of Patmos, wrote one of the greatest prophetic books, the book of Revelation. And if you want to put a capstone on it all, think of Jesus. Socially isolated, three days and three nights in the grave. But up from the grave he arose. And we today stand united in his death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, great blessing can take place when we trust in the Lord. But there's that thief of circumstances that, that the devil wants us to respond wrongly to. We need to use this time to advance the gospel in every way. And in many ways, the COVID epidemic has caused churches to be innovative. And in many ways, the gospel has gone forth, reaching people that never would walk into the walls of a church for fear that the walls had cave in. You've heard people say that before. And yet, you can tell your neighbor, why don't you go online and listen, and they'll do that. More prone to do that or to attend a, a small group session online. And then once they get saved, then they'll be more prone to enter into the structure of a church, you see. God knows what he is doing. And his plan is still disciple-making. Well, let me give you another thief. Don't let the thief of circumstances in your life take your eyes off of Jesus and what he's doing. But we're going to move on a little more, and we're going to look at the second thief, the thief of other people. You know, in chapter 1 and verse 15, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. You know, there were other people that were preaching and speaking about Christ other than the Apostle Paul. Many of them with insincere motives. It says some out of rivalry, envy, others goodwill. You know, don't think that you're the only one like Elijah. You know, I'm the only one standing for the truth. Listen, God has many others. Covington is not the only church that's standing for the truth. And I praise God for that. You know, when I see the condition of our country, I thank God for every church, every believer, every preacher that's got the guts to stand up for what's right, no matter what people say or what other people might say. Young people going to camp, you're going to run across some kids that are going to have bad attitudes. They're not going to want to be in camp, they're not going to want to hear the Bible. They're going to boo-hoo having devotions in quiet time. Don't let the thief of other people plunder, rob you from the blessings that God has for you. You know, anything that moves is going to create friction. Friction isn't always bad. Shinnei was the guy that was chucking rocks in David's parade. You'll always have people that will try to rain on your parade and criticize you. Paul faced Alexander the coppersmith who did him much evil. Demas forsook him. Did the apostle Paul allow that 
to keep him from doing what God had called him to do? Not in your life. At the end of his life, he was able to say, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness awaiting. There's the gossip and there's the malignment. Some preachers will have a spirit of exclusivity. Oh, well, the reason why his church is being blessed is that he's compromising, but we are standing for the truth. And it's we four and no more. And then after a while, they're so exclusive, we four no more. Then it's me and thee, and then it's me and thee, and I wonder about thee. <laughs> People have a tendency to be that way. Don't go with the naysayers. There are some people that said, you want to know why Paul's in prison? God's punishing him. He's getting what he deserved. You know, it's amazing how people can spin any kind of a web that they want to further their agenda. You see that in the political climate today, don't you? And we see it in the things of the Lord, too. People that think that they're God and they're the ones that can determine what he is doing in everybody's life. Except their own because they're not walking with the Lord. Don't allow, number one, the thief of circumstances to plunder you. Don't allow the thief of people, other people, to keep you from doing what's right. Number three, look at chapter three and verse 19. Chapter three and verse 19. The thief of things. Have you ever heard the phrase, he who dies with the most toys, finish it for me, wins. Yeah, that's right. And there are people, you know, if the devil can get you involved in looking for happiness and fulfillment in the accumulation of things, you're going to be like that man who climbs the ladder of his career and then when he's all the way at the top, he realizes it's leaning against the wrong wall because you left God out. Remember the rich fool who built the barns and forgot God. It says in chapter 3 and verse 19 that the end of these people is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. <coughs> earthly things. Colossians chapter 3 tells us, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. So, there are some lessons that we can learn through all of this. We're not really in control over our world. And you know, those things that people have a tendency to put their faith in, what has COVID-19 done to those things? People who put their trust in their 401k or their investments or their, their uh, ability to be able to have popularity or employment in the kind of job. The Lord sometimes removes things to isolate us, to put us in the place where we look up and we, and we seek God. And there are many, many people whose testimony is reflecting that. You know, COVID-19 has taught a lot of people the value of a family. There are fathers that were never home. 
Mothers that, that were always alone raising their kids, and yet it's taught the fact that the family, you know, with all that society is trying to do to disintegrate the family, the Lord is showing the value of the family. Let me give you a fourth thief, shall we? And let's take a look at the thief of worry. Philippians 4, 6. We're going to be moving on here. It says here, Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. You know, you can go to the drugstore and purchase sleep, but you cannot purchase the rest of your soul. Learn to give thanks. Don't be a complainer. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 4, uh, chapter 6 and verse 25, the Word of God says, Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, neither do they sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and neither toil nor spin. And yet in verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. I ran across a little poem one time. It said this, Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings are rushing about the way that they do. Said the sparrow to the robin, my friend, I think that it must be that they do not have a heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And you know, I never see a sparrow popping antacids. I don't see a little sparrow worrying, taking Maalox, drinking Maalox from a little puddle in the sidewalk, you know. Uh, what a lesson we can get of not worrying. God's word is not bound, even though we may feel that we are during this period of time. Let me give you a fourfold as we complete our message. I'm going to do like Paul said in Philippians, finally, brethren, and then I'm going to go another chapter, right? Well, look at, look at the fourfold security system against the thieves. There's a fourfold security system, and we're going to move quickly on this. Number one, are you ready? The Lord wants us to have a single mind. Now, some of you might say, a single mind? What in the world does that mean? I only have one mind, and I sometimes wonder about that one. Well, look at chapter 1 and verse 21. It says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How would you fill in the blank? in verse 21. If I were to ask you to fill in the blank, for me to live is blank, what would you put? For me to live are my cars. For me to live, my money, my hobbies, my vacation plans, my condo, whatever it might be. For me to live, fill it in. Well, we need to focus on Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Sometimes the Lord has to strip away all of the ancillary encumbrances that we have in our lives to cause us to focus and to put our single focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife is the mother of my six kids, and she did every one of them through Lama's childbirth. And, you know, they're the ones that have the focal point, and while you're going through the labor and the distress, you have a focal point, which is normally a picture. We would use a picture of a baby, and then they have the, the proper breathing techniques and all of that. And then uh, epidural helps too, but we're not going to get into that. But, <laughs> but that focal point illustrates a singleness of heart. When you're driving a car down the road, you've got to keep your eyes before you. You can't be looking at the hood ornament. And we need to look to our Savior. Have a single mind. Then, number two, here's the second truth of having a security system against these thieves. Have a single mind, but number two, have a submissive mind. Have a submissive mind. You know, Child Evangelism Fellowship has a, has a, a mantra, if you want to use that term in a, in a good sense. Joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. Have you ever heard that before? And what a beautiful picture what a beautiful picture it is in chapter 2. You know, in chapter 2, we see J-O-I, Jesus, others, and yourself, fleshed out in several examples. And we can see that. Look at the example of Christ in chapter 5, of, of, uh, or chapter 2 of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus had a submissive mind, and when he came to earth in the form of, my, of man, never ceasing to be God, he gave up the independent exercise of his divine attributes and was submissive to the will and the timing of his heavenly Father. What a beautiful example of Jesus who left everything so that we might be able to have all things in Christ Jesus. Then there's another example. We're moving quickly, but look at verse 19 of chapter 2. There's a man called Timothy... Timothy, saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Here's a man whose father was a Greek, his mother was a Jewess. And in chapter 2 and verse 19, he was the perfect associate pastor, so to speak. Here it says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I may too be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who'll genuinely be concerned for your welfare. All seek their own interests and not 
those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Boy, that is a submissive mind. Just in line of chapter 2 with Jesus, who put the needs of others, Timothy was a man who loved God's people, and he put God's people first. Then take a look at the example of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was probably the carrier of the letter. He had brought the Apostle Paul a gift from the church at Philippi while he was in prison, and Paul was so thankful that he writes the book of Philippians and he sends it back with Epaphroditus. But you know what? A few things happened in verse 25. Epaphroditus got sick while he was out there delivering this gift. And you know, the Word of God says in verse 26, He's been longing for you all. He's been distressed because you heard he was sick. Here, Epaphroditus isn't concerned about himself. He could have said, you know what? Boy, I sure sacrificed bringing this gift from Philippi all the way to Rome, and I got sick, and you know, somebody else should have gone in that church. Why did it have to be me? He could have had that attitude. But here's Epaphroditus who gets sick delivering the gift. Where is his concern? With the people back home because they're worrying about him. That is selflessness where he's more concerned about the needs of others. That would be a good lesson for us during this pandemic period, to be more concerned about the needs of others and meeting those as well. The third key, the third key, the third security system against these thieves, not only to have a single mind and a submissive mind, but a spiritual mind. Chapter 3, chapter 3, and verse 20. Notice what it says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? The phrase, from it, carries the idea that we have a biblical, Christ-centered, world-life view. And as citizens in heaven... Our world life view demonstrates itself in every possible way. Socially, how we handle other people. Occupationally, how we work for others. Our world life view as believers and the fact that we're citizens in heaven ought to even impact who we vote for and those candidates that best reflect principles that will allow for the propagation of the gospel. Paul told the believers at Thessalonica that we're to pray for those in authority and that the, those that are in authority will make decisions that will allow the word of God to have free course. You see, none of them are perfect. I wouldn't vote for any of them to be the pastor of Covington but I'm going to vote for the ones that best reflect the principles of God's word so that we as the church can promote the gospel. We need to have a spiritual mind. Realize your home is in heaven. Somebody once said, you don't build your home on a rest stop. 
Let me finish with this. Philippians 4 and verse 6 gives us our last fourfold security system. Number four, have a secure mind. We're to have a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, but a secure mind. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those are two areas that cause worry, our hearts and our minds. The heart will encourage wrong feelings. The mind will encourage wrong thinking. I like the phrase that Vance Havner once made, and I'll close with this. Christians are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven, but rather we're citizens of heaven making our way through this world. And we're serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the thieves steal from you what God has gloriously granted you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, there may be some here this morning that really examining your heart, you've never made a decision to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. If you were to die tonight, you don't have assurance that you'd go to heaven. And I'd like for, for you to just indicate that need so that I might be able to remember you in prayer. Speaking to young people, parents, teenagers, whatever your age group might be, if you're not sure of your salvation, let me see your hand so that I could pray for you. I pray that I'm speaking to all believers who know Christ as Savior. I pray that these truths will encourage you. God is still in control. God knows what he's doing. And he'll never test you above that you are able, but will with the testing make a way to escape that you'll be able to bear it.